Hey guys, be sure and check out the My Ambitions as a Writer blog where I, the Mrs. Morgan you know, Kate Morgan, shares my many opinions, stands with women everywhere, and stays rough and rugged addressing the mass public. Visit themorganyouknow.com slash blog. Enjoy! Hello, Internet. The Morgan You Know Podcast Network presents Balls and Brew. Hello, welcome to the show. It is a big week. NFL Conference Championship Week is upon us. I'm going to bring the fellas in here in just a second, but I want to speak right off the top to somebody who I think might be listening, somebody who we know has his ears to the media at all times because he's awfully prickly about what people say about him, even though he tries to make us say he doesn't care what people say about him, and that's Aaron. Aaron, hello. Tough loss last week for you and the Packers, my man. Sorry about that. I'm sure that that was rough, and maybe you said some things that you didn't really mean. Maybe you said some things you want to take back. I don't know, though, if that's your personality based on some of the stuff we've seen from you this year. So I want to speak to one thing. You said everybody is taking revelry in your loss because you didn't get the vaccination. I personally took revelry in your loss, Aaron, and I could care less if you got the vaccine or didn't. I work with a bunch of people that didn't get the vaccine. I have family members that didn't get the vaccine. You choose to get the vaccine or not get the vaccine, I could care less about that. What I believe people were reveling in that you're not understanding is America loves an underdog. And on the flip side of loving the underdog is we love to see the pompous fall. We love to see the mighty who love to tell you how smart, how great, and how better than you they are fall and be humbled. And that, my friend, is why people were enjoying your loss to the 49ers at home last week once again. Because you were pompous enough to think that you might be able to host Jeopardy while being a full-time NFL player. You were pompous enough to think you could hijack the entire NFL draft and say you wanted to be traded away from the Packers, a team that constantly makes it to the playoffs and gets you to conference championship games, which you have lost, but somehow it's their fault. Then you lied. I'm sorry. You lied to everyone at the beginning of the year and you were pompous enough to try to tell all of us why you didn't lie and why all of us were wrong for doing the thing you didn't do. And then this is where people really got their enjoyment from. Not only did you do that, but you doubled and tripled down by going on the Pat McAfee show, doing other interviews, spouting half-truth, conspiracy, non-truths, all the above, doubling down, telling people why you're wrong, you're right, and they're wrong, and people love nothing more than seeing that person fail. So, you continue thinking it has something to do with the vaccine, but I think it has something to do with you being pompous, and maybe you want to look inward on that one. But, that being said, let's move on and bring in our man from North Carolina, Chris King. Chris, hello. What's up, Rod? It was a good little good rant. Uh, it was a little good rant. I don't have as much ill feelings towards uh, Rodgers as you do. Um, I hate the 49ers more, so I definitely did not want them to win. So I was rooting for Green Bay. Um, but in all reality, there's another quarterback whose who's career came to an end that I have much more disdain to and a lack of respect for and get furious about how much media darling attention that he has gotten this year. And and it drives me a little bit nuts when you have a quarterback that has the history of his just get praised and praised and praised. And a guy like Aaron Rodgers who made whose only fault may just be he's an arrogant jerk 
uh, gets gets ragged on constantly. Uh, so I see a little bit of a double standard in the media at large when it comes to this subject. Okay, sure. I think that's uh, that's a little bit of shade toward uh, number seven in Pittsburgh there, who announced his uh, official retirement today. And uh, joining us is someone who doesn't usually come out firing as hot as Mr. King and I did. He's our football handicapper. He knows the numbers. He knows the stats. He's excited as hell as 49ers are in the conference championship game. It's Josh Williams. <laughs> What's up, boys? What a round of football we had there. Last uh, Every game came down to the last play. It was uh, fantastic. It, uh, man, I don't know if the conference championships can live up to uh, the divisional round, but uh, we'll see. We only got three games left, so hopefully they're good. It was one of the better weekends of football there has been in a long time. Multiple games, everything out on the table, and like you said, Williams, every game coming down to the last play, essentially. It was a phenomenal weekend of football. You can't ask for anything better. And then the and then the kicker was that Bills Chiefs game. Like, how do you end the weekend like that? Like, that's just, it was an insane, great weekend for the NFL. Point of clarity, real quick, before we move on, is any game that comes down to the final play a great game by definition? Or can a game that comes down to a final play at the end not necessarily be a great game? Mr. Williams, your take? Yeah, it, it doesn't, you're right. If it comes on last play, and that, that doesn't necessarily mean that it was a great game, but the, the Kansas City Buffalo game, I think everybody knows it was a great great game. It would have been a great game if it was uh, if it ended twenty six to twenty one, and the Bills would not have converted on the fourth and thirteen. But then when Allen converts on the fourth and thirteen, then it's just good God, what a freaking game that ended up being. I wasn't pushing back against the uh, Chiefs-Bills game. I mean, clearly that was a great game, or at least a great uh, final five minutes. You know what I mean? I was I was more pushing back against that Tampa Bay-Rams game because I was watching some of that, and that was just a complete snooze fest. I turned it off, and then, of course, I realized that Tom Brady did one of his comeback things at the end there, and I missed that. But And I was, uh, I was otherwise engaged during my uh, Bengals. But Chris, Williams has already taken shots at our Bengals, and this is an official Bengals <laughs> podcast. I can't believe it. Who day, Williams? Who day? We told you last week what was going to happen, and it happened. And now we're going on to the AFC Championship round with an actual shot at, at, at a if if your if your team makes it in the NFC, it could be a rematch of of the great nineteen. Uh, oh, what year was that? Nineteen eighty one and eighty eight. Yeah, eighty eighty two was the year of the Super Bowl, and then eighty eight. Yeah, rematch. Getting revenge on those 49ers for taking away those Super Bowls. Let's bring back the icky shuffle. You know somebody else that's hoping the 49ers make it to the Super Bowl this year is the uh, Peacock streaming app because they have the big uh, Joe Montana, their attempt at the um, Last Dance Michael Jordan type docuseries about Joe Montana exists on Peacock right now. And if they get the chance to see a bunch of old 49er highlights running everywhere else, they're going to be like, hey, 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 come here to Peacock. We got that for you right here. Yeah, also, I believe the, the, the 1981 season, uh, which would have been the 1982 Super Bowl uh, early or late January, uh, I believe that was the first Super Bowl that, that Madden and Summerall did. And uh, with Al Michaels projecting to be his last Super Bowl, having worked with Madden, that would kind of be a full circle. I would love to see it. Al Michaels is an absolute legend. I've heard all of the uh, the talk that uh, everyone else has that apparently he's going to be going on to Amazon, which will then mean he doesn't have the Super Bowl. But let's not rule that out. Jeff Bezos seems to be able to do whatever the hell he wants to do. I mean, he got to go to the moon, for Christ's sake. So, you know, Amazon could get a Super Bowl before too long. Who knows? 
But let's uh let's stick with that Bengals Chiefs game since that's kind of where our momentum is right now, and then we'll give uh, Williams plenty of space to do all of the gawking over the 49ers that he needs to. But uh, Mr. Williams, coaching decisions. I mean, we loved that Bills Chiefs game, but I mean, is there anything in that game that maybe we should we should be questioning? I mean, I guess squib kick would come up here, but maybe you have something a little more minute. Oh my gosh, there was poor coaching all over the place. It made for great TV. <laughs> Honestly, it made for great TV. But yeah, if you want to start with the KC Buffalo game, I mean, Buffalo has to squib kick there. It's, there's 13 seconds. That's going to take four, five, maybe six seconds off the clock. Uh, if you think 13 seconds is enough for two plays plus a field goal, you have to take you have to take five or six seconds off. And then Leslie Frazier, uh, what are you doing? You can't prevent defense like that when the Chiefs only need a field goal. They only need about 35 yards to get a field goal range. That's a that's a prevent defense to run if they need a touchdown. And the worst part of it was Sean McDermott called a timeout before the first down play and before the second down play and still didn't change the coverage. Uh, they released Kelsey off the, the second play right down the field. Just terrible, terrible defense. I feel terrible for the Bills fans. I feel terrible for Josh Allen. He played his heart out. Those Bills fans deserve more. This is something that Leslie Frazier and Sean McDermott, they're never going to get over this, ever. And I mean, I don't want to make it sound like hyperbole. They're never going to get over this. And everyone's going to say, oh, they're going to still be back. Josh Allen's unbelievable. Maybe. I mean, Dan Marino went to the Super Bowl in his second year. Guess what? Never got back. And Brian Dayball's probably out the door uh, the, uh, coming up. So he's probably going to get hired by somebody. So I, I wouldn't... And you still have to beat Mahomes. You still got to beat Herbert. You still got to beat Burrow. Hey, Lamar Jackson, former MVP, still in your conference. It's it's no walk in the park for Buffalo. I, I feel terrible for the fans. Uh, just just terrible, terrible coaching there in the end by Leslie Frazier, Frazier and Sean McDermott. You forget he's also they're also going to have to beat Minshew when he comes to quarterback this Colts team that is loaded with oh, a whole lot of other talent. Hey, hey, Williams, I got a question for you. We did see some, quite some questionable coaching calls do you think this is where sometimes analytics is getting taken too far i think it's just common sense to you can't let mahomes beat you in in that sense you have to you have to pressure him and you have to you can't get the free release on those guys it was just poor time management i think if bill parcells is on that is on that sideline with 13 seconds left there's no way the Bills lose that game. If Bill Walsh is on that sideline with 13 seconds left, there's no way they lose a game. And yes, I know they're the two two of the greatest coaches of all time. But what my point is, they're great game managers. I'm surprised you didn't mention Marv Levy. The Mar- Marv Levy, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're great game managers, and they would not have allowed uh, that to happen. They just wouldn't have. Um, and and that has, I mean, some of these head coaches here, they're getting paid way too much money and not coming through. Uh, with with calls uh, on the field, so um, yeah, we'll see. It's there's a ton a ton of more bad coaching to go over with, <laughs> so it wasn't just in that game. Yeah, well, we're just we're, we're going to stick to the uh, to the AFC side here. We're just going to go from one conference to the other. I think that's the easiest way to uh, keep everything uh, organized here for conference championship week. So uh, let's uh, let's move on to the uh, Chiefs' opponent in this game before we uh, we break down what this game is going to be like, Mister uh, Mister Williams. I mean, you're you guaranteed. Or I guess you didn't use the word guarantee, but you said you were pretty darn sure that the Tennessee Titans were going to be moving on to the AFC championship game. What did they do wrong that allowed Chris and I's uh, Bengals uh, to again dominate the uh, football landscape of the AFC, not named Kansas City or Buffalo. 
Yeah, I mean, it's more so on Tannehill. I mean, you you can't throw three picks in that game, one of them being inside the 10-yard line. Uh, props to Mike Hilton. He had one of the most unbelievable individual plays in that game to help Cincinnati win that game. Um, but but there's still some poor coaching on Todd Downey, the offensive coordinator for the Titans. He goes shotgun on third and one with Tannehill, and he QB sneaks it. Uh, doesn't go anywhere. Then goes with a slow-developing handoff deep in the backfield on fourth down to Henry versus a nine-man box late in that game. I mean, how about reading the room a little bit? I said I said last week that you can't rely on Tannehill to win you this game, <laughs> and and he he I didn't really expect him to play that badly, but like he did play. He made some that one interception was a tremendous effort by the Bengals player, but like you can't turn the ball over that many times, and that's what's keeping Cincinnati in these games and winning these games. Yes, their defense is not great right now. Their offense in that Burrow-Chase chemistry is killing people, but they got to keep these turnovers going. They got that plus two every game. They're getting two more turnovers, and they're giving up, and that's what's winning these games, and that's what can keep them in the game against the Chiefs. You know, I love the, you know, I love the Bengals. I was able to put my fingers on it when I watched some highlights back from this game and I was reading up on, uh, on the stats of what happened and, and, you know, watching a few other Bengals games throughout the year. The Bengals are like me on Madden, right? When I used to play Madden on PlayStation 2. Now, I don't play any of the new Madden iterations that are, you know, advanced graphics and the gameplay is probably beyond what I understand. But on the PlayStation 2, what I used to do all the time was blitz with the defense try to get sacks and interceptions, and then my quarterback would just drop back and chuck it deep all the time. That's all I would do. I'd get sacked six, seven times a game, but I'd probably have three or four deep 40-yard bombs that would lead to field goals or even touchdowns themselves. And that's absolutely what the Bengals are, and I love watching them, Chris, and that's why they are our team. And they did that just a few weeks ago and beat Kansas City doing that exact type of thing, throwing it deep. 450 yards passing, I think 29 yards rushing or something like it was just all through the air and they were able to beat the Chiefs. So this is not a runaway game. I cannot believe the spread is a touchdown. Mr. Williams. All right, let's go to you now. Your thoughts. Break this game down for us. I've got some shade on Zach Taylor, too, for 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 his coaching performance. I didn't think it was great. Um, oh, of course want, not. Burrow got sacked nine times. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, you want to help out your franchise quarterback with some different protection schemes, bud? I mean, how about running any screens to slow down that pass rush? How about chipping with the tight end on the edges to slow down that pass rush? How about leaving Mixon in the backfield to pick up the rush from up the middle to slow down that pass rush? I mean, Burrow got sacked nine times, really 11, if you count the delay of game penalties that got nullified. Second week in a row that the Bengals' penalties on them benefited them. Uh, that's kind of bizarre. But, uh, yeah, this this, this Bengals-Chiefs uh, game is going to be interesting. They played a few weeks ago. Um, kind of a really weird rep game. Uh, Kansas City fans were not happy in the end. Uh, but uh, Cincinnati is resilient, man. They came back uh, from 14 down three different times in that game. All right, I'm gonna. I'll go first. I'll go first. Here's my heart is absolutely with the Bengals. I am gonna be having some three-way chili, spaghetti, cheese, onions, five-way. However you want to do it. You people in Cincinnati are great with chili. I love the striped helmets. 
I love the old Riverfront Stadium. I saw a great Grateful Dead concert at a wonderful concert venue in Cincinnati this summer. Shout out to Cincinnati. My heart is with you, but my head is absolutely with the Kansas City Chiefs. All right. Pat Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes, however he wants to go by, has been beat in the playoffs by one quarterback and one quarterback only. And that quarterback is none other than the greatest quarterback that has ever played the game, Tom Brady. All right. Patrick Mahomes is three and one in playoff games where his team's win percentage dips to 5%. All right. I just can't in earthly world bet against Patrick Mahomes in this game, but my heart is absolutely with the Bengals and this is still a Bengals podcast. Well, Rod, it's definitely a Bengals podcast. However, I'm not going to be a turncoat. I'm riding with the Bengals. Uh, I'm staying with Bengal Nation, Houday Nation, and I am going to give. I'm, I'm probably going to step on Williams' toes here a little bit. But I'm going to give you some some uh, trends that the Bengals are going to buck uh, this upcoming weekend. So, in the past uh, 15 years, oh, the, the grandfather home, clock. Oh, you, you go. got it. Yep, yep, you got the grandfather clock in there. So, for the past 15 years, the home team in the AFC title game has won 13 of 15. And they are ten and five against the spread. Bengals are going to buck both those trends this weekend coming up. Oh, that's great! I love it. Chris calling me a turncoat. Chris is solidifying his seat at the front of the bus. Have the Bengals win this game, Mister Williams? I'm going to pin you down here. Give us a pick. Yeah, Burrow ten and two against the spread in his career when he when he's getting at least three points. That's pretty impressive. And teams coming off an OT win in the playoffs are only 3-11 and straight up the week after. So there's some trends there that point towards Cincinnati. Remember, the Bengals also have an extra day. They played the first game on Saturday. The Chiefs played the late game on Sunday. And the Bengals only had 54 snaps on their defense. That's key because they're going to be they're probably going to be on the field for a lot, a lot of the time. Um, so also rematch of non-division teams. The winners of the first games are 4-2 and straight up in the playoffs. That would favor the Bengals here. I think if you can if you can find the hook, there's I think there's still a couple of, uh, of books out there that have seven and a half posted. I think I like Cincy plus seven and a half. Um, gosh, I would love to see Cincinnati win this game. Actually, with uh, with some of the futures I have for San Francisco, I think anybody who comes out of the NFC, I think would rather see Cincinnati win. I think they'd have a better chance to beat Cincinnati than they have to beat Kansas City, but I don't know. Still uh, throwing shade at Cincinnati. <laughs> I still think, well, I mean, they're seven-point dogs for a reason, and, and Mahomes is pretty unbelievable at home. Still think Mahomes probably gets it done in the end. But I will take I'll take Cincy plus, if you can find seven and a half, I think I like Cincy plus seven and a half. I got one more cool Pat Mahomes stat for you, all right? He is undefeated in rematches against quarterbacks that have beat him not named Tom Brady. Again, the greatest quarterback of all time was the only person that was ever able to beat Pat Mahomes two times in a row. So, I mean, you know. But the Chiefs also going into uncharted waters here with, what is it, four straight uh, AFC Championship games now at Arrowhead Stadium, Mr. Williams? Yeah, that's a lot of that's a mileage. A lot of mileage on the tires there. Uh, we've seen it before where you think these dynasties are going to keep on going and keep on going, and then all of a sudden they just fall off. But uh, the Chiefs just, you can, you can never count out Mahomes. Certainly not 13 seconds. My goodness. I mean, that was, a, that was a heck of a game. We can only hope that the game between the Bengals and the Chiefs will be just as good. Let's move over to the 
F C and uh, Mr. Williams, what do you want to do? Do you want to start with uh, reviewing the Packers Niners game? Do you want to start with the Rams and give even more time for you to give love to the Niners? I'm, I'm going to put the ball in your court here, sir. Right, we can start with the with the Tampa uh, with the Tampa Rams game. Just a bad coaching on on, on both parts here. Uh, Bruce Arians and Todd Bowles. Well, let's just fast forward to the fourth quarter, one of the last plays of the game. What are you doing? Sending a slot corner blitz on the second to last play and leaving a safety to cover Cooper Cup. I mean, that's just mind blowing. We we gave out the stats earlier. Like Stafford had killed the blitz, and you had just sacked him running no blitz. I don't understand that call at all. Um, and then after the game, Arians comes out and says, "Yeah, only half a D knew we were blitzing there." Like what? You are the head coach, man. Feel free to call a timeout. If there's any mis- miscommunication pre-snap, I mean, and, and and then on the other side, McVay, when he is aggressive with play calling, that's when you get the 27 to three lead. When he goes ultra conservative, that's when you get the 27 to 27 tie game with under a minute left versus a depleted Bucks offense. Why are you not throwing it at all in the second half? Uh, we've seen McVay do this before in Week 18 versus San Francisco. All he had to do, uh, he had a chance to put the Niners away. He goes super uber conservative on that last offensive drive and regulation. Run, run, run for five yards. Punt it back to San Francisco. Five yards total. Punts it back to San Francisco. And Jimmy G goes down the field, carves up that defense, forces an overtime, wins an overtime, and punches their ticket into the playoffs. They could have eliminated the Niners. They wouldn't have to play them again. And so, yeah, I just I just don't know. Second half possessions for McVay. Punt, touchdown. Fumble, punt. Fumble, miss field goal. Punt, fumble, field goal. I mean, McVay did his best to lose the game in the second half there. Some terrible coaching on, on both coaching staffs in that game. Chris, your Chris, your thoughts on the your thoughts on this game. Was this was this the Rams impressing you? Was this uh was this, you know, like Mr. Mr. Williams said there, like Tom Brady did Tom Brady, but then his coaches failed him. What did you think coming out of this game? Um, I think the better team won. I think that and I was definitely rooting for the Rams. I think the way they came out in the game built that big lead, and I, I was, of course, like everybody, I was waiting for Tom Brady to bring him back, which he did. I was happy the Rams pulled it out. Um, the biggest question I have out of this game, though, is, is Tampa Bay dysfunctional now? I mean, there are new things coming out every day about that team. Uh, Gronk retiring, what's Tom Brady going to do? What kind of coach is Arians now? The Brown stuff that's still going on, like they offered him two hundred grand to go to a mental institution. I I see the Bucks almost like the Yankees in baseball. You know, yeah, they're supposed to be good and they got talent, but they look dysfunctional. Well, they certainly don't have the pedigree that the Yankees have, but I, I get what you're saying there. They put together a whole bunch of superstars. Money was no object other than, you know, the NFL salary cap guys took less money to come back and all of the above. But, yeah, I think the most interesting thing to come out of that is when you said uh, Mr. Brady's name there. Mr. Williams, I'll ask you this. Do you think we saw Tom Brady play his last football game? No, I think he'll be back. I think uh, Godwin is super important to that team. We've seen Brady succeed with – uh, a slot receiver in the past, you know, some of his best seasons said going all the way back to like Troy Brown, Wes Welker, Julian Edelman, Chris Godwin. Godwin is extremely important to that team. If he's healthy, that Bucks team is probably in the NFC championship game. 
Um, also, they had a ton of injuries on the offensive line. The injuries just caught up with them this year, and it's not an excuse that they – I mean, they were they were going to probably have injuries this year because they were so healthy last year. So uh, we've seen Brady. Brady hasn't repeated since uh, 03-04. It's tough for him to repeat, kind of like the San Antonio, San Antonio Spurs there. They never repeated uh, with Duncan, believe it or not. But, but Brady – Brady will bounce back probably next year, I would say. I mean, that that would be my prediction. So you don't think he's going to mind much if what Chris is alluding to there, we have a bunch of upheaval down in Tampa Bay. A lot of guys are not back. Bruce Arians maybe isn't back. He has another head coach. You know, it's just it's going to seem real odd to him. And I just wonder if Giselle, who I think we all clearly are to be led to believe through stories that she's been chipping away at him for years to hang it up, if he just is kind of like, you know, I don't know if I'm going to put myself through this anymore. I, I think it's a definite possibility, right? I think we've basically had the Brady farewell goodbye tour, even though he hasn't ever said that for years now, that he's not necessarily necessarily going to want it so I think if Brady walks away it'll just be sort of the same way Peyton did where it's just a thing will come out in the offseason that he's not coming back yeah maybe I, I feel like this this was just kind of like a, a snoozer of a game for him to go out on I just I just don't in the in the end I feel like Brady's got a little bit more left to go out on he'll be 45 next year that's a nice round number um I just I just see that I just see him trying to get one more Super Bowl before he hangs it up I could be wrong Oh, absolutely. Hey, listen, it's all opinion here. You know, none of us, we're not, we're not Adam Schefter. We're not Chris Mortensen. You know, we're not Peter Schrager. We're not, you know, we're not, we're not texting anybody. We're not finding out the, uh, the inside dirt. But what we do know we have is an absolute huge San Francisco 49ers super fan here. I sort of, you know, led the podcast off with my thoughts about Aaron Rodgers. But, uh, Mr. Williams, do you want to talk uh, about the Packers as a, as a, as a football team versus your Niners in that game before we go on to talk about your Niners in the championship game? Yeah, shame on me. I didn't get to this last week, but the Packers were 32nd in special teams DVOA, and no team had ever even made the Super Bowl with a dead last uh, DVOA in special teams. Man, did that show up. Because if the Niners don't get that punt uh, blocked and the, uh, the field goal block, I don't think they win that game. And... That the special teams was just horrific uh, with with Green Bay all year. Uh, you saw San Francisco, and San Francisco doesn't even really have a good special team. They're 26th in DVOA, so I wasn't sure if that was going to come into play, but that's just how bad the Packers' uh, special teams was um, all year. I thought that they might put Debo back uh, to, to, to have the kick returns, and that did happen one time. I think he had like a 50-yard return, but I, I had... I didn't think they they were going to block a field goal and a punt to win that game. So uh, pretty crazy there. Chris, what impressed you most about this 49ers football team in that game versus the Packers? Uh, West Coast team traveling cross country, winning on the road. And you were on this weather. all the time. This is your stalking horse. You were just on this all the time. <laughs> um, I I loved I loved that game. I know it was low scoring, it was cold, it was a lot of defense, special teams plays. I thought it was an exciting game. Uh, I definitely wanted the Packers to win, but I thought the defense showed up when they needed to for San Francisco, especially, like well, like you said, special teams. I know the Packers are bad there, but you got to still make those plays. And, and they made the plays when they had to make them, and they were able to come out on top. It was a great game. Oh, yeah, I mean, my guy Jimmy G, of course he thought it was a great game because that's basically a score of the one they used to wear leather helmets, which is when you first started liking football back when you were eating candy apples and saltwater taffy on the New Jersey that's right. shore. 
That's right. That's where I met Newt Rockney. <laughs> yeah, I've got a ton here on this game here. Uh, Shanahan is 18-10 and 10 against the spread as a road dog. I think we've, we've mentioned that stat before. He's 4-0 straight up the last four times playing the Rams as dogs. So he's been an underdog, but he's won all four of those times. And only one QB has averaged more than nine yards per attempt versus the Rams this year. Surprisingly, that was Jimmy G. He did it twice. Uh, I think they use the Rams' aggressiveness against them. Uh, San Fran likes to spread you out horizontally and then attack the middle of the field. And Jimmy on throws of 1 to 15 yards down the middle of the field, he's top three in average yards per attempt and number one in EPA per attempt. See, Jimmy is, hold on real quick, Jimmy is where I was going to go. So my guy Jimmy was kind of, he was kind of just a, a passenger on the bus, no, but you're actually kind of making an argument here that maybe he's not flashy and it doesn't seem great, but he's kind of integral to what your guy's success is, huh? I mean, good Lord, he was he was absolutely atrocious on Saturday night. He tried to throw about four different pick sixes with way out uh, to the to the sidelines there. And that's the thing is that when the, the when the Niners are rolling, Jimmy G is passing in the middle of the field. And and the Rams D, they're twenty eighth in yards per attempt given up on those particular throws, one to fifteen yards in the middle of the field, twenty ninth in EPA defending the, those such throws. And this is why here, this is really interesting. The Rams disguise coverages more than any other team in the league. Uh, the only run there, they only run their coverage that they're showing 55% of the time. So the Rams are running a lot of motion pre-snap on defense. The Niners run pre-snap motion on offense more than any other team in the league. So that mitigates what the Rams can do to mess everybody up on defense. But here's a little like Tom Brady stat here. When opposing defenses showed what coverage they were going to play pre-snap, Tom Brady had 35 touchdowns and eight picks this year. When they didn't, he had eight touchdowns and five picks. You go back to that game versus Belichick, one of the worst games of the year for Brady. Belichick, a master at disguising coverage in pre-snap. Go back to Brady's last game in New England, the playoff game versus Vrabel, Belichick disciple, who likes to disguise coverages. One of Brady's worst playoff performances in his career. That's why the Bucks facing the Rams last week was such a bad matchup for Tampa Bay. The Niners run motion so much that the Rams' safeties kind of have to stay in their spots pre-snap. It makes it a little easier to read the defense. Also, the Rams use the fewest number of players in the box on early downs. They crowd the line of scrimmage at the lowest rate of any team in the NFL. The Niners have the second highest run rate on early downs behind only Tennessee. What's the difference between the Niners and the Titans' offense? The Titans' offense elicits the most people in the box out of any offense in the league. The Niners are nowhere close to that because of how much pre-snap motion they use. So the, the Titans could actually learn a thing or two from, from the San Francisco's offense. The Rams have engineered a D to stop Tampa Bay, to stop Kansas City, to stop Cincinnati, to stop these elite passing offenses. They haven't engineered a defense to stop a team like San Francisco. That's why Shanahan has won the last six games against McVay, and that's why it's such an intriguing matchup on Sunday. It's going to look like arena football out there with all the, with everybody running around in motion on both sides of the football here. So the only thing you're going to see is the guys can't sprint up to the line. That's, that's the only thing about arena football that I thought the NFL should consider allowing guys to do. I think that would be awfully cool for the receivers to sprint up to the line like that. Chris, I know you were a referee in Saskatchewan back in the early 80s. I mean, you know, what do you think about that rule coming to the NFL someday? Yeah, give them a running start. I'll tell you what, the other great rule in the CFL is the uh, field goal post, post on the front of the end zone instead of the back. And you get 20 yards in the end zone, so you got more room to work with. 
This is, I would like to see the end zone extended a little bit in the NFL, and you won't see so many cramped little plays, whether it be a flare-out screen or or the fade jump ball in the back corner of the end zone. I want to see a little bit more intricacies in the in those uh, touchdown plays. Balls and brew, folks, where you can get why the NFL is not as cool as the CFL. Only here on Balls and Brew can you get a take like that. All right, speaking of takes, let's go to Chris first on this game. Chris, your prediction for the NFC championship game. Um, So I'm going to go with the Rams. I'm going to go with Matt Stafford. I think he's the better quarterback of the two, and that's where I think this game is won. Um, I know – we can go through the stats. I know Garoppolo's won the last five he's played against the Rams, two of them against Stafford. Um, Stafford's a good quarterback. It's going to be tough to beat the Rams three times in a row in the same year. That's um, always, always tough to do. Um, I know McVay seems to have issues. I just, I think the Rams are going to score quick. And fast, and it's going to be too much for San Francisco because they won't be able to run on those first downs, second downs. They will have to pass because they will find themselves behind by double digits early. Um, I think it may end up being close. I'm still taking the Rams. Mr. Williams, I think we all sort of know what you want to see happen in this football game, but what worries you the most about uh, the Niners coming out victorious? Because I know you have some leanings that way. Yeah, this is tough. It's tough to beat a team seven times in a row, especially a team as talented as, as the Rams. I think the Rams are the more talented team. I think uh, Beckham is healthy. He's he's extremely dangerous. Um, so that's that's scary. And I think if McVay is aggressive the whole game, I think the Rams probably win. I don't know if I trust him to be as aggressive as he should be. Um, and you've also got this, this ticket uh, situation here. A lot of the Rams players, fans were upset in week 18 that it was such a pro San Francisco crowd. This is not a home field advantage for the Rams. Uh, these tickets are priced, they're jacked up and the San Fran, uh, you know, San Fran fans who travel really well, they don't have to travel that far. This is essentially a, a home game, uh, for the, for the Niners here. So, it's tough. I mean, everybody's trying to stop these elite offenses. The Niners have snuck in here because they play differently than everybody else. They're the most contrarian team in the NFL. That's probably why I like them so much. Like when everybody zigs, they zag. It's more fun for me to watch like a less talented team try to outsmart the more talented team. Every time you watch the Niners, that's what you're getting. Uh, I mean, unless <laughs> they're a true treat to watch, in my opinion, unless you're a Packers fan. Uh, Rodgers Rogers now 0-4 all-time versus San Fran in the postseason. I had to throw that in as a Bears fan. Um, but, yeah, I, I would take I would take the Niners plus 3.5. I mean, uh, they've obviously won the last six straight up, uh, and there's really no home field advantage. they got an extra day of rest, too. The Rams had to travel all the way back from Tampa. So uh, this game's tough, though. This game's going to be a, a hell of a watch. Yeah, I mean, uh, I remember back in the day when Rodgers was sitting in that green room for the uh, draft and some San Francisco fans were mad that he uh, maybe didn't get drafted to their team because they felt like they could have used the quarterback at that time. But little did they know that Aaron Rodgers would give them four playoff victories anyway as not even a member of the 49ers. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. And there was a couple of years ago where uh, Rodgers lost at San Francisco in an NFC Championship game. And, and in the press conference, he says, we got to get a couple of these games at home. 
Well, that didn't really work out, did it? So, uh, yeah, we saw we saw Rodgers in that game. Only only two guys had more than two targets all game, and that was uh, that was Adams and Jones, who he trusts the most. Uh, he had Lazard streaking through there uh, late in that game in that possession, and he decided to throw it into double coverage to Devontae, and it didn't work out. So, just a matter of trust with Rodgers, and uh, we may have seen uh, his last snap in Green Bay. Yeah, that's definitely uh, that's definitely something that we can uh, we can touch on uh, in a, in one of our off season pods. We'll uh, we'll try to get you to wrap up the season and talk about some of the biggest questions that we have. Uh, you will have a uh, off week next week, Mister Williams. We have uh, we have no football game next week to uh, to to talk about. Are you are you bummed about that? I am. I am. I have uh, two other quick things to get to. If you let me hear, go right uh, ahead. This your 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 dime your dance floor. Yeah, the <laughs> you're giving me some gruff last week about throwing out a referee stat, but that actually came into fruition. The Sean Hockley game, uh, in his games, the road team is now twelve and five against the spread. He did the he did the Bucks Rams game. He's the first referee ever to throw a flag on Brady for taunting. <laughs> he basically got his feelings hurt. That the, the Bucks had three different uh, personal foul penalties, fifteen yard penalties. That was huge in that game, man. So uh, I don't, I don't want to go conspiracy theory hat or anything, but that was kind of interesting. Yeah, because if anybody's going to tilt things in favor of anybody in the NFL, it's going to go Tom Brady's way and not against him. So yeah, no, definitely not a conspiracy thing. <laughs> and then the other thing is, uh, I want to get you guys take on possibly changing the overtime rules. And what's interesting is this: this isn't like a like a hot take here, like after Buffalo like you know, lost. And the, I think whoever whoever wins the coin toss there wins the game. I think that's how both offenses were just awesome that game. But what's interesting is that Kansas City proposed this rule after they lost to New England uh, 2000, 2019, I believe, maybe 2018 playoffs. And uh, they said, you know, we'd like to have uh, both offenses at least have a chance to, to, to get the ball, and then and then we'll go. We'll go sudden death after that, and and the league. I don't even think it came up to a vote. It, it might have, and it might have. They didn't. Yeah, that. they didn't garner enough support with other yeah. owners. Yeah. So there's that. That's that's interesting because it's obviously Kansas City. What's also another interesting part part is that the Ravens last year proposed a spot rule uh, for overtime playoff games, and that's if the road team gets to pick the spot, and then the home team gets to decide gets to decide whether or not they want to take the ball or not. So. My question to you guys is, what does Buffalo have, where does Buffalo have to spot that ball <laughs> where Kansas City's like, no, you take it. I think, I think no matter where they spot it, that Kansas City is going to take that ball. So if I was Buffalo, I would have spotted it at like on my own two yard line. Why the two? Why not just spot it at the one? Yeah. I mean, the one is because the game could end on a safety. So I'm thinking like this, the massive sweet spot is like the two yard line, but like, I don't even feel comfortable if I'm a Bills fan giving Mahomes the ball at the two yard line. So maybe you're right. Maybe it is a one. But that's an interesting. That's an interesting. And that uh, uh, proposal there by the Ravens, who that's not surprising because the Ravens are one of the more forward thinking teams in the league to have them propose that. I don't even think that got up to uh, vote on. You need two thirds of the vote to pass. So you need 24 teams to pass that. So I don't think that that was going to pass. But. Uh, yeah, what were your guys' thoughts on the OT in the playoffs? 
Well, first off, let's let's be honest, all right? It is a hot take in response to something that we just saw, right? I mean, why did we absolutely have to change the replays for pass interferences after the Saints debacle a couple of years ago where the guy just flat out buried the receiver and it wasn't called for some reason? I mean, so it's absolutely a hot take response to that. And my response to the hot take response is slow down, all right? I understand both offenses were on all cylinders there and whoever got the ball first was going to win, but those are the rules, man. You got a defense, okay? I mean, if we're to believe that football is a sport and you need three different phases to be able to win, if coach speak is to mean anything, then I'm sorry. You got to stop them. You got to stop them or at least hold them to a field goal so then you can get the ball back. You can't let them go down there and get a touchdown. So, no, I'm I'm not for changing the overtime rules. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. The only thing... I think I'd maybe consider is I there's something nice about sudden death you know that's exciting um although sudden death in football is not the same thing as like sudden death in hockey you know where there's going to be multiple possessions for each team more than likely before a goal scored or or whatever you want to call it and so I would like and you don't have to do this necessarily during the regular season I think you keep it the same way it is now for the regular season in the playoffs, give them a 10-minute quarter. Let them play that next 10 minutes out. It's like almost like an extra quarter, but not quite. And then if it's still tied after that, then you go to sudden death. No, that's ridiculous. Why would you do that? Because then one team might get the ball twice, the other team's won, and then we're still in an unbalanced situation. That's ridiculous. That can't You're, be the solve. You, you get more chances for your team to make plays. If you make one mistake, they get a touchdown. That's not the end of the game. You still have five, six minutes left to go come back, and then you have more. It's just I see it as you have more opportunities. Uh, you you make one mistake in overtime right now, and the other team wins. I don't know. It's I'd like to see a little bit extra for the playoffs, I think. If the Colts played an overtime game and they scored a touchdown first to win, you wouldn't be saying any of this. You know what I mean? Like you're just you're just trying to be smart to outthink the room. The same reason the Raisins were when they came up with that stupid proposal, Mr. Williams. You kind of threw the question out at us, but you didn't answer it. What what's your answer to the overtime conundrum that has been thrown upon all of us NFL fans? Yeah, so I I just don't think that you can you can have the, the game decide on a coin toss. The last eleven times, whoever won the coin toss won the game 10 times. Uh, ironically, the only loss was that 2018 NFC Championship game where the Saints got absolutely hosed by that non-PI call. Side note, before the season, I had the Saints to win the Super Bowl that year. So that was extremely devastating for me. Uh, but yeah, I think both teams needed... We got we got robbed. We, we already had a one of the all-time games of, of the ages. We got robbed of seeing Josh Allen try to respond to that. And then what happens if the Bills go down and score a touchdown? Do, does McDermott know that his defense is absolutely gassed? Does he go for two there? Oh, my God, is everybody on the edge of their seats there for that one play for Buffalo to get into the play, to get into the conference championship game? I think you got to have both teams possess the ball, minimum. Fine, you know what else would make for great TV is if at the edge of the end zone was a pit of tigers, and if a guy ran through it too far and he fell into it, the tiger mauled him right there live on, or if there was fire around the out-of-bounds line, and if you actually stepped out, you, you caught on fire too, that'd be great TV as well. I mean, are we playing a football game, or are we just oh. making rollerball here? You you just reminded me of the first Naked Gun movie where one of the Angels players gets mauled by a tiger, like in bloopers of baseball reel they were showing. Yeah. Oh, that would be fantastic. I'd watch it. <laughs> 
See, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, you know, are, are we playing a game here, Mr. Williams, or are we just, or is this James, or is this James Con, or uh, or maybe Chris Klein, if you like the rollerball update? I mean, what are we doing here? And I'm I'm not saying that because Buffalo lost. I would be saying the same thing if Buffalo won that game. Let's give Mahomes a chance to come down and tie this game up. I think. What about both- the defense a chance? Is nobody willing to say that? I mean, are we just does defense not exist? We just don't even care anymore. There's there's no whatsoever uh, responsibility to the defensive coordinator or to the coach for his defensive calls or to the captain of the defense. Like they're all just they're all off. It's all on the coin. No, what are we talking about? No, there is, but you have to also agree that as far as which side of the ball tires out first, the defense on a team is going to tire out before the offense. The offense can get get going, get moving, it gives everybody energy, and you can keep that drive going. Cornerbacks run just as far as wide receivers. The defensive line is standing around just as much as the offensive line. Linebackers run just as much as tight ends and running backs do. So this is is bogus. When the defense gets a big play and changes momentum, they end up leaving the field. They don't get to keep building on that. Those players that made that big play go back onto the bench, calm back down, their heart rate lowers, they don't have as much adrenaline flowing. Like, that's not the same thing. You make thing a big play offense. on defense. Guess what? The same thing happens. You go off the field and the offense comes back out. What are we talking about here? You guys are just completely ignoring that your defense can A, score a touchdown themselves, B, stop the other team. I mean, I, I don't understand how overtime comes around and because the word O all of a sudden is here, D doesn't matter anymore. Mr. Williams, final thoughts. No, neither team could stop, neither defense could stop the other offense. I mean, and that's overtime's matter. fault? I don't understand. I mean, give give each team a possession. Buffalo had nine possessions in that game. Kansas City had 11 possessions. That's why they won the game. The game should not be decided on a coin toss. That's what it has been 10 out of the last 11 times. Give these offenses a chance. And then it goes sudden death. What? What? Why is it so? We're down to one game, dude. We're down to one playoff game. Why is one more possession so no, we cannot okay, have that. It's we not a coin toss. That. It's whoever's team captain can solve a Rubik's Cube first gets the football. Then. It's not a coin toss. <laughs> sure, that's better than a coin that toss. <laughs> this, listen, the, the biggest problem is the NFL is the one major sport where a game can end without and, and in overtime without both teams possessing the the ball on offense. Uh, both teams uh, you, played hard, man. I mean, both teams you, played hard. Do you want to see an NBA game go into a sudden death over time? The first person to make a basket wins. I don't want to see an extra mandatory ten minute quarter. That's for sure. Because then I'm going to see some sloppy, terrible basketball by the end of that. Just like you'd see some sloppy, terrible football by the end of that. You guys on one hand are talking about players are tired, and so both teams should get the ball. But then Chris is like, "Let's have them play ten more minutes." I mean, I, I can't even keep up with it here. Well, I was just giving you reasons why the offense is more important in overtime than the defense. Hey, hey, I got one question. Baseball, both teams get a chance. What? What are you talking about? What sport is that? <laughs> you mean the, you mean the sport that maybe is never going to come back and be played ever again, that sport? Hey, they've got something going for them, man. They're up and coming. <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. That, that that rising baseball, man. They got they got the all they got all the young fan base there. All the all They're the, still all ahead the young of kids. Well, this isn't Canada. This is balls and brew here in America. And we need to wrap up here. We only got the big hardcore fans listening in anyway. And as a little treat for the hardcore fans, I promised last week that we would have some basketball talk this week. But then when I consulted the calendar, I saw that next week we don't have a football game. And we also will be graced by the presence of Morgan, you know, Podcast Network Hall of Famer, Father Pete 
McCormick. So we're going to talk some basketball next week with Father Pete. Chris, I know you're excited for that, but as a little tease and a little gift to the hardcore Morgan Eno fans that stuck around, I heard a Russell Westbrook trade that makes sense. Are you interested in hearing it? I am intrigued. Let me hear it. All right, so Westbrook on the Lakers not working out very well like all of us basically predicted in the beginning of the year, okay? But I propose to you the problem with Russell Westbrook is he's the kind of guy that you have to play his style and his style only, and that absolutely cannot be possible on a LeBron James team, and it cannot be possible on this Lakers team where there is literally no talent on the rest of this roster, right? They're all veteran minimum guys who can only do a couple of things and not support Russ in the stuff that he's bad at. Because here's what I will say about Russell Westbrook. Not going well on the Lakers right now at all, but Russ is still fine. Russ is still a gamer. Russ is still going to compete. Russ is still going to play. Where were all of those things come in handy right now? How about the Madison Square Garden for the listless, lethargic, completely going nowhere New York Knicks. If you're the Knicks, why in the world wouldn't you trade Evan Fournier, Kemba Walker, and Alec Burks right now to the Lakers for Russell Westbrook? You help the Lakers by giving them three capable role players who can fill in and actually fit their system and not be a square peg in a round hole like Russell Westbrook. And you let Westbrook come to the garden on this Knicks team with a bunch of young talent who can cover up for Russ a little bit and play off of his lead. Chris, am I crazy? I tell you what, I think uh, Russ in New York would help out my man Julius Randle an awful lot. I think that would be a solid. Then you got eight RJ Barrett there as well. You got guys that can shoot the ball, uh, from deep, you got other guys that can also rebound and clean up the glass when he uh, uh, drives a lane. I think that would be a perfect fit for Russ. Um, I am a big Kemba Walker fan, but I don't know what he's got left. I mean, does can't, he have... I mean, can't almost anything help the Lakers at this point, though? <sighs> maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, mean, I do like Evan shoot, Fournier right? going I mean, there. It, even and if I his like, knees are shot and he can't move around anymore, he can still shoot, right? And, I mean, if, if nothing else, you know, you give me three guys around LeBron and Anthony Davis that can shoot, you know, maybe it's something. Listen, you're also – you have to play defense. Um, unfortunately That's for true. the Lakers, they definitely have to play defense in, in the Western Conference because you got some teams that can out – Flat out score. Fournier, you know, Fournier is not terrible at defense, though, and at least he's a wing, right? At least he's a wing defender. That's what I mean, right? Like Fournier, Walker, and Burks, not perfect, but the three things that they do could actually help the Lakers a little bit. So I just think, and here's the other one, Chris. The Lakers have so many young guys on cheap rookie contracts, they can actually afford Westbrook's $47 million next year and have a little bit of room to play with and not be in the luxury tax. And there's not a lot of other teams that can say that. I really think that if. The Lakers wanted to make that trade. They would probably want to substitute one of those players for R.J. Barrett. Yeah, but they're not going to get Barrett for the team. That's the thing, right? You, you as the Lakers have to understand you're basically dumping Westbrook. Here's what else they're probably going to have to do. They're going to have to give up their 2027 first-round pick that they keep kicking around saying that they're going to trade that and Taylor Horton Tucker for any other great player in the NBA because Laker fans are insane. You have to realize that you you have the you have the depreciating asset here in Westbrook. But my argument is he can actually be a bit of a value add to this Knicks team. That's So I think that that's a trade that could go yeah. down. If Westbrook goes to the Knicks, I think they they make the playoffs with fifth or sixth seed. 
I listen, he did it for the he did it for the Wizards, he did it for the Rockets, you know. But like I said, those teams had to retrofit their roster to play with Russ. And I just think that with where New York is going right now with that starting lineup that is the worst in the league and Tib keeps going with them and that their young guys who come in off the bench is actually their better lineup, put those guys around Russ doing what Russ does. I'm with you, Chris. I think it's something that those teams, if any of those executives are listening to Balls and Brew, you're welcome for that. And I also must say thank you to uh, Bobby Marks, ESPN uh, front office insider. I heard him drop that trade on the Zach Lowe podcast, and that's where I first caught wind of it. But I thought it was pretty darn interesting, and I wanted to bring it up here as a little tease and a little uh, thank you to uh, everybody for listening. And uh, thank you to Mr. Williams for uh, sticking here for a a couple of NBA basketball thoughts. Do Do you have a random basketball nugget for us, Mr. Williams? Well, yeah, just a little bit, little interesting uh, betting market thing here with uh, the defensive player of the year, uh, Jaron Jackson. Had just got he just got steamed uh, betting in the betting market for defensive player of the year. He was uh, up to like three hundred to one a couple days ago, and then uh, there was a, a show that I listened to, and uh, a lot of people listened to it, and they kind of gave some uh, back markers of of why this guy is like in the thick of defense player of the year. A couple nights ago, I think he just had five blocks and like six steals. He's third in the league in blocks and uh, uh, just outside top 50 in steals. So it looks like he has like a decent chance uh, to, to win defensive player of the year or, you know, if he makes, you know, all defensive team, uh, he has a decent chance, but uh, that, that line has gotten steamed so much that books actually had a lock by his name. I saw MGM, have a lock by his name. I, I don't think I've ever seen that before because it was getting steamed so much. It's already down to like 40 to 1 now, just in a couple of days. Went from 301 to 40 to 1 wow. on, on DraftKings. So uh, just interesting little thing there from uh, Defensive Player of the Year at Market. Well, you know what else? He's on the Memphis Grizzlies, and Memphis is really good. So that's going to help him keep in the eyes of the voters. And then, Chris, he, he mentioned your favorite thing right there. That was stocks. almost a stocks. There you go. Yeah, yeah. No, those, are some, <laughs> those are some great stocks right there. You want to invest in those stocks, maybe not at 40 to 1. Um, and plus, you still got Rudy Gobert. I mean, Absolutely. That, that dude is a beast in the middle. Um, you have uh, Jared Allen in Cleveland, who has been a force so I think it's some, wide open now, though, with Draymond out because we don't even know when he's coming back at this point. Yeah, no, and that's yeah, yeah that no, hurts Golden State's long term future as well because their defense was anchored by him, and that takes a big hit. That was yeah, that was a thing. I, I I've been hearing that the the injury is a little bit worse than than what they're leading on. So. Well, it's a nerve, right? Like it's a nerve that's impacting other you know uh, things, and that's you never want to hear that because then that means backs are involved, and it's a whole thing. Just he can just ask his coach Steve Kerr about that. But speaking of future betting markets, this is the last thing I'll mention here. If you guys recall, I told you about three. NBA preseason bets that I placed. I placed a future on Joel Embiid for MVP. And uh uh-oh, look who is basically one and two in the MVP race right now in the NBA, Joel Embiid. I have the Miami Heat to win their division. Look who's number one in that division with the bullet right now, the Miami Heat. And I have the Toronto Raptors just to make the playoffs. And as of recording right now, the Raptors are 500 in the eighth seed. So, Mr. Williams, I'm in line right now for three future bets on the NBA. Heck yeah, man. Let's go. Let's go. 
I'm excited most about the Embiid bet. That was the one that I got the, the most significant odds on. So I placed $50 on each one of those tickets, and they will all pay me off a, a different amounts. But the Embiid one is the one that I'm rooting for the most. So Well, uh, I want to rain on your parade next week a little bit then, Rod, when we get to the MVP table. Oh, there we go. That's a tease. Next week, we got Father Pete, me, Chris, maybe another NBA luminary. We will see. Mr. Williams will have the week off. We will be back the following week to break down the Super Bowl. Mr. Williams will have some cool props for us. We'll have all the breakdown you need. Hopefully, we will be celebrating Niners v. Bengals. That's what this podcast is looking forward to. But as a treat, if the Kansas City Chiefs go back to the Super Bowl, we will welcome back Mike Frankoviak. He made a triumphant appearance at the beginning of this year talking about the Kansas City Chiefs, and I told him that if his Chiefs made it to the Super Bowl, he can be back. So next week we may have Mike Frankoviak if the Chiefs are in the Super Bowl. If not, it will be just us three talking about John Candy and Joe Montana, I have a feeling. But one last thing, don't forget the Royal Rumble is this Saturday. You still have time to listen to the Yeah We Know in the Ring with Jimmy and Rod podcast that dropped earlier this week where Jimmy and I give all of our thoughts on the premium live event on the peacock app tomorrow so check that one out after you're done listening to this podcast jimmy and i would appreciate it as always mr williams thank you mr king thank you thank you listeners and chris final word goes to you goodbye internet